Good morning, church family. Boy, is it nice to see everybody today. You know, thank you, thank you. Um, You know, it's been an awesome week as I've spent a lot of time with the Lord, as I've kind of done my research and tried to prepare today. And I'm just very grateful that I have the wrong page up here. But I'll fix it because I know where it is. There it is. I don't have a lot of notes, but I like to do at least keep them in order. (laughs) But this week has been awesome. And I am just grateful to God that he gave me this extra time to spend in his word. Grateful to Tim that he's given me this opportunity to share with you. And I am really grateful for this church family that you're all here today. And I pray, I'd like to ask you to join me as I pray. So if you would, please bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we can't express with enough intensity the gratitude we have that you have given us your word that we can use to to mold out and fashion our lives, that you have given your son, that you have provided us grace and mercy, Lord, and we ask that you would continue to be with us. Father, As Tim said, I pray that you would give us open eyes, open ears, and more, most importantly, an open heart that is willing to hear your word and to adapt and adjust to what your word leads us to. Father, I definitely pray that at this time that I can get out of your way and that while my body may be here, Father, I pray that your message would come through your Holy Spirit in a way that would impact each and every one of us, much to the way that you've impacted me this week. And I do pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. You know, I want to remind us again about this book of Romans that we've been studying for the last few months. You know, this was a letter that Paul had written while he was in Corinth, and he was writing to a church that he wasn't instrumental in establishing, but he is the apostle to the Gentiles, it fell under his wheelhouse. So he reached out to them, and he was offering them a lot of guidance. And when he wrote this epistle, this was written about 25 years after Christ's death. So if we think about it in our lives, look back 25 years ago and think about all that's happened. Well, look at all the things that have happened in the world since Christ passed away. And you've got these congregations, churches, all around the world. And Paul is reaching out, and this book of Romans is so important to us because you know, it's a treatise. It is, it is his letter of guidance, not only to the Roman church, but to us as well. Because the Roman church was a model of what we are. The Roman church was made up of Jews, many of which came from, from Israel, and it was made up of Romans, Gentiles, or pagans, if you will. And it brought these two cultures together. So you can imagine the Jews over here that were steeped in tradition, and then over here you've got the Romans that had come from a pagan background. <clears throat> so, you know, as I've looked at this, and, I, and I've looked at the importance and significance of this, you know, Romans 1 through 8, this is where Paul is establishing the foundation for our Christian faith. 
He lays out the gospel. You know, there's something we call the Romans Road, where we can use just the book of Romans to lead somebody down a path to show that all have fallen short of the glory of God, all are in need of salvation, and that that salvation is provided only through Jesus Christ as our Savior. And that if we confess with our mouth and accept with our heart, then we too can enjoy salvation. And he lays this out in the first eight, eight chapters more focused. Then chapters 9 through 11, he talks about God's sovereignty over salvation, how this isn't about us, it's about him. And he's addressing largely the Jewish members of this church in Rome and kind of making sure that they understand that they're no better or no worse, but that they've got to be, that they're a part of this. And it isn't about them, it's about God. And then a couple weeks ago, Tommy shared in, in Romans chapter 12 the instructions that, that Paul lays out for Christian living. You know, here's where we saw that our bodies are a human sacrifice to the Lord, that God will, as long as we're willing, will allow will, will change us and mold us, but we have to submit to him. And he also pointed out in, in that chapter that there are many members, and each member is different. And these differences are important because if we were all the same and we marched to the same beat, we wouldn't be that effective. But God has seen to it in his wisdom to bring many members with many different gifts and, and skill sets into the church. And then last week we talked about chapter 13. And we saw Paul was reiterating Christ when Christ was asked what the most important commandment was. And that commandment was to love God with our whole mind, heart, and soul and to love one another as we love ourselves. And he showed us how if we have this love, then it's going to take care of all the important details. If we love one another, we're not going to steal. We're not going to cheat one another. We're not going to covet one another. We're not going to commit fornication because love is that overwhelming power that keeps us focused moving into where we need to move. And then that brings us to chapter 14. And as I was reading this and going through this this week, I was kind of, I could kind of relate some of this to my life. <clears throat> I spent about 10 years single, one way or another, and during that period of time, I kind of established certain guidelines or idiosyncrasies, if you will, in my life that I followed. My house in the circle of friends that I had was referred to as the sterile house because it was always clean. I had, on my dining room table, I had four settings of, of dinner set all the time. I cleaned it every week, made it look nice and pretty, had a nice centerpiece, but, you know, I'm a single guy, right? But I got this set up. Everything in my house was clean. At night, I could get up and I could walk around. I didn't even have to turn the light on. I could just walk through the room. If I needed something out of a drawer, I could go to that drawer, open the drawer, reach in, pull out what I needed, and walk away. Didn't even have to see it. I knew what I had. 
So that was my life. I lived by this rigid standard that would not allow me to leave the house with a dirty dish in the sink. I couldn't leave the house if it wasn't made. <clears throat> to a point sometimes where I tried, and I would turn around and go back and make the bed. Okay? I mean, it, I, was, I, I guess you could call it I was obs obsessively compulsed to do this. But for me, that was okay, because that was my life. I didn't have anybody disrupting it so I could continue to move forward. And then I met my wife. Well, you know, I, I can say that we are very, very perfectly matched, that God has done an awesome job bringing us together. But I can tell you that she needed lights to find things at night. I can tell you that, you know, <laughs> and I'm not saying that, that she in any way was, was messy, but she wasn't me. And as a matter of fact, she confessed to me at one point, she goes, I don't know if I can marry you because I don't think I can live in that house with you because I can't do that. And I thought, you know, maybe you're right. But no, I want to marry you anyway. So we went ahead and did that. And as I read through this chapter today, this came rushing back to me because the Apostle Paul is addressing this type of issue, the differences between two people or two factions, and the fact that me, I had to compromise. I had to change my way of living so that I could live with the woman that God brought to me. And it was willing to do that, although it was difficult, you know, because, as I said, I, I, had a t you know, I, I needed to make my bed, right? Well, that was all well and good, except I went to work before my wife got up. And man, she didn't take too kindly to me making the bed with her in it. <laughs> I don't know why, but I will tell you, I just developed a good skill set. I can make half a bed now. So she can stay in it, and I can have my bed. I mean, I can't bounce coins off of it, but, you know, I don't have that many coins to bounce but I've learned to compromise. I've learned, and, and I, I kind of refer to this lesson today, as we need to choose our battles wisely. There are battles that we should fight, but there are battles that we should just let alone. Make, you know, insisting that my wife convert over to be like me would not have been a good battle. Would not have been a battle that I would have won. But I love her. And I love her the way she is. And I've learned to live with that. Yeah, I do stub my toe at night and I do have to turn lights on, but that's okay. I can work with that. But as we look at chapter 14 of, um, <clears throat> of, of Romans, You'll see how my life was mirrored here. And I'm going to venture to say that probably there's a few of you out there that have had situations similar to this. But I want to read from, I want to read and ask you to follow along. I want to read verses 1 through 12. 
and then I'm going to come back around. I'm going to try to try break this down in a way that, that hopefully will, will show what Paul's message was. And I'm sorry, I don't know what the pages are on the, on the Bibles, but Marianne has been gracious enough to kind of follow along with me, and, and it's up behind me. So if you would, read along with me. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands and falls, or falls. And, if, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both to the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So as I went through this, I kind of, kind of saw this broken down into a couple different um, things. The first section, as I see it, this is... The, the command that we see here is to accept others. And by accepting others, this is basic to our freedom in faith. In verse 1, Paul is talking to someone about those weak in faith. So let's assume he's talking to those that are strong in faith. We look at the two contrasts. Okay? So who are the weak? who are the strong. And as we go down through this, um, you know, we're told to welcome the weak one with, you know, uh, and not quarrel over their opinions. In verse 2, he says, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. So I read that and I thought, I must be one of the strong ones, because I can eat anything. I'm good with this, you know? Put it in front of me, I'll eat it. If I don't like it, I might not eat it a second time, but I'll eat it. He says, but, you know, then there's those that won't eat anything. So those are the weak ones. So again, as we look at this congregation, and we look at the fact that we had Jews and we had Gentiles, 
the Jews who were trained under the Jewish laws had foods that they were taught were unclean. Yet, in spite of the fact that Peter writes in, in or you know, the, the, the account that we see of Peter in, in, in the book of Acts, where God lowered the blanket down and on it were all these unclean animals, and he went, oh no, I can't look at those. Those are unclean. And God said, who are you to call unclean what I have called clean? So those rules were thrown away. The new covenant that we had through Jesus allow us to eat other foods besides what, we, what the Jews were taught to eat. And then the Romans over here were like me. I eat anything. Meat, meat, sweet meat, bring it on. You know, and, and part of the problem that they had at that time was in Rome, there were a lot of animal sacrifices to false idols, false gods. And those were the best cuts of meat. So what wasn't used up in the sacrifice actually made it over into the market. And these Christians would go, hey, meat, that's where all the good meat is. Hey, guess what? They, they sacrificed them to false idols. A false idol is nothing. They didn't sacrifice it to anything. So I'm going to eat that meat because it's good meat. And the Jews were taught not to eat things that were sacrificed to false gods. So again, you had this situation where they wouldn't eat it, and they would. So Paul, as he addressed this, you know, and I think it's important, he said in verse 3, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him, and by him, he's saying he welcomed both. He welcomed the weak, he welcomed the strong. Both were welcomed in. And he says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, when you look at the issue of meat, and you look at the fact that the beginning part of Romans was all about these doctrinal issues, and when he gets to 14, he kind of steps back and he says, You know, I'm going to step away from the doctrinal teaching right now because I need to teach some behaviors. Because here he is in Corinth, and obviously the, the disconnect between the two factions in this church were significant enough that he was aware of them where he was. So he felt that it was important for him to address this, this situation and what he's talking about here with meat, and it's important that we look at this, meat is not a doctrinal issue. And what I mean by that is eating meat or not eating meat is not going to affect in, anywhere, in any way our salvation and our standing with salvation before the Lord. It says, it says that here. Go ahead and eat meat or don't eat meat, but don't despise the other for it. Because this issue is not significant enough as if somebody was committing murder. Well, yeah, you may want to be able to share something with them and show them that murder isn't accepted. But as I went through and looked at the Bible to see you know, where it tells me not to eat meat, I couldn't find anything in there. 
Because meat is not a doctrinal issue. It's a, it's a non-issue, if you will. It's just the way one side believes, the way the other believes. And I think Paul was telling us that, and, and, and one of the things that I saw, uh, oh no, that's in the next section. But you know, he was telling us to the weak or accept the strong, but not to argue over these meaningless points of contention because they don't affect our salvation in any way. So as we look through that, um, the, the message that I got from that is that we need to agree that we can disagree agreeably. You can eat. You don't have to eat. Neither one of you is going to be wrong before the Lord. So I think, you know, and when we look at that and we look that it's not our place to make that determination. The second section that I, that I found was by not dictating to others, this allows the Lord to direct their lives. In verse 5, he starts out, he says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. And I think this is important. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, which is the one who, while the one who abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. <clears throat> so the subject of days, again, goes back to the cultural differences. And I think about, you know, how does this apply to us, you know, today? Are there issues that are culturally different you know, is, is long hair something that we should make an issue over? Are tattoos something we should make an issue over? Are the cars that we drive something that we can make an issue over? You know, Paul says here that, you know, there are days, you know, the Jews had certain days that they felt were important. You know, Sabbaths and, and Passover and other holy days in their lives. And they felt that those should be held in a higher regard than just an average day. While the Romans over here are like, you know what? Look at every day as being a holy day, a day that we should give to the Lord. So you got ones over here that say there's only a, you know, some days, and there's those over here that say every day, and that created a divide in the church. And Paul was saying, look, as long as you believe in your heart with the conviction of your conscience that you're okay celebrating particular days and you over here are okay celebrating all days, that's okay before the Lord because it really isn't up to you. You, don't, you, know, you belong to the Lord. They don't belong to you and you don't belong to them. We all belong to the Lord. So as long as we celebrate, as long as we eat, 
as long as the things that we do, we do to honor the Lord, Paul says, okay, that's okay, because these are non-doctrinal issues. And that's important as we look at that, that we identify the problems that we have. You know, I know churches that have divided because one group wanted blue carpeting and one group wanted green carpeting. And that was enough of a divide that the church split. Really? That is something that you felt strongly enough that you would leave your church and go away. Well, yeah, it happens. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why Paul took it upon himself to, to write this chapter for us, because we could look at it. You know, and it's, you know, I, I guess it's like, you know, don't sweat the small stuff, and all this is small stuff. You know, if you've got a problem that's doctrinal, have at it. But if it's just something that is non-essential, you know what? Be a little bit accepting. You know, as he said in verse 1, don't argue. You're not here to argue that point because whether you win or lose, you lose. You know, because you can create discouragement. <clears throat> so he encouraged us to live according to our conscience based on the fact that we belong to the Lord and that the things that we do should be honoring him. The next section that I saw, I kind of headed up as freeing others means we will never assume a position that we are not qualified to fill. Starting in verse 9, it says, For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. <clears throat> Whose are we? Who has the right? Who earned the right to tell us what to do? It says here, Christ. Christ died, gave up his life, sacrificed his life so that he alone could be in the position to tell us what to do. In verse 11 it says, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself before the Lord. So as we go about our efforts to help correct everyone so that they're doing everything the way that we do it, because clearly we're right and they're wrong, you know, he says here, you know what, guys? That's all well and good, but you've got to remember something. Each and every one of you are going to stand before God in, in front of the judgment seat. And I've got to tell you something. As I thought about this and I reflected, my baggage that I'm going to bring with me in front of that judgment seat is scary. I don't know where that's going to go, but I know that there's going to be a lot of stuff that is going to be brought up. Why on earth would I want to bring somebody else's into my mix? <laughs> hey, you, you, you got a problem. Let me take your baggage with me. So now I'm accountable for me and you. No, that's probably not what he wants us to do. He says, you know what? You got enough of an issue taking care of your own self. Why are you assuming a role that you don't have a right to assume? 
You are not their master. Christ alone is their master. He died to have the right to be their master. So Paul is protecting us because we don't need to carry somebody else's baggage with us. So as we look at this, by freeing others means that we're not going to have to do that. They're going to answer for their own. They're going to go in with their own baggage and set it down. And they're not going to carry any of mine. And I don't need to carry any of theirs. So as we look at the lesson that we're taught here, it's like, okay, if, if that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to answer for. Do it with a good conscience. Do it with a clear heart, knowing that what you believe. You know, it's like me. For me, when I was single, it was right for me to have my house perfectly clean. Was it strong? No, it was weak. I found much more strength in allowing, you know, letting down of that guard. You know, but I, I, I found that my comfort came from knowing that my house was clean at any time. But I'm just as comfortable today knowing that my house is lived in that I have a loving wife, I have grandkids that come over, but guess what? My house is not perfect all the time, and I'm okay with that, because my house is a house of God. And I, as long as that's the case, then my house is cool. Now, I want to look at one more verse, and if we could, let's look at verse 13, because I think verse 13 is a great bridge between the first half of the chapter and the second half. And I think it really ties the message important together very importantly. And it says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brethren. Paul spent the first 12 verses justifying the fact that we have a liberty not to alter doctrinal facts or points, but we have liberty in how we interpret the non-doctrinal facts. We have liberty to eat meat or not eat meat. We have liberty to drink a beer or not drink a beer. I had an instructor at the Bible college I went to that had never been to a movie because his belief was you can't go to a movie. Great, let me find, where, where's that in Scripture? Let me, thou shalt not go to movies. Well, wait a minute, that's not what that says. That's not an issue. So why are you making an issue for me if I was to come to your church and tell me that, yeah, you can come to our church, we're happy to see you, but you ever go to a movie? Ooh. Sorry, thanks for coming, bye-bye. No. You know, I read a story as I was researching this about a young Christian woman came to know the Lord, and she had a background that she was a, a, a lounge singer. She's a nightclub singer. Okay, so, of course, she probably dressed rather sultry, and, and you know, she had, uh, you know, the, the vamp when she sang, and they asked her to, share, to, to, to sing a song at the church she was at. Now, this is a person who's new to the Lord, who is like, man, this is great. I get to worship my Lord. I get to sing to my Lord. And how am I going to do that? Well, the only way I need to do that is 
draw on the experience that I have. So she got up and she sang. And she, she dressed up really nice, like she would look really good at a nightclub. And she sang in a way that would have been, you know, probably more appropriate for a nightclub. But she sang a song to her Lord. And in her mind, she was worshiping God to the best of her ability. And she was just so happy with this. And afterwards, she went in the back, and another woman went up to her and went, what do you think you're doing? You're not saved. You're not a Christian. No Christian would ever get up and do that. And it just shook her to her core. And obviously, she didn't go back. Is that really what we're supposed to do as we show our love to one another? No. It said we're to accept one another and, and not use these small points because that, well, the way she's saying, may have been a little different, but it certainly didn't affect her standing before the Lord, especially since she was doing it for the Lord. And I think we have to remember that we need to be a little bit more accepting of others. But here's the thing. In verse 13, Paul says, you know what? I spent, I, I showed you that you have the liberty to live your way and to do things the way that you feel are honorable to the Lord. But with that strength comes responsibility. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you always should. Just because, okay, I don't drink. I'd make, I've made a choice that I don't drink. But I can let others around me drink. I, I, I'm, I'm strong enough in my faith to know that you having a beer or a glass of wine is not going to shake my faith. It's not going to cause me to want to run out and get drunk. But you want to know something? There are people who are fighting addictions and they're fighting challenges. And you having a beer in front of them might be enough to shake their world and cause them to stumble. So we as the strong need to be able to learn to discern when is the proper time for us to exercise our rights or the proper time to exercise our strength and not exercise our rights. Do not cause someone to stumble because you feel you can eat meat. You know, this all wraps up here. You know, just like last week when we were talking about love and how love, if you love one another, it takes care of all the doctrinal issues. You're not going to kill, cheat, steal, but over here, it says, okay, you can eat, you can, um, you know, there's things that you can do, but maybe things that you might not want to do if it's going to cause someone else to stumble. And I think that was kind of important. So to kind of go back, you know, um, oh, there was something that I wanted to share, and I forgot to share it last time, but... As I was going through this, I found a quote by Emperor Constantine. And if any of you know Emperor Constantine, you know, he was pretty involved in, in transforming the Christian religion to what we know it today. But he addressed, he had a quote that addresses this perfectly. 
His quote is, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, love. So essentials are pretty cut and dry. Non-essentials are open to interpretation, but in everything, it is love that we have to use as we, as we put things together. So to kind of summarize, we're looking, you know, we had two types of people. We had those that are strong, those that could eat meat, those that had the, the trust and the faith that they didn't have to be regimented in what they do. And they had those that were weak, those that needed that regiment to be able to live in a way that they were comfortable with. Which are you? As I went through here, I thought I was the strong and found out that, you know, in many ways I'm weak. But I also found, I guess I'm kind of a blend of both. I have things that I need that, that clearly defined path. And then there are other ways where I can be. So I think what we need to do is ask ourselves, which are we? Um, both are okay before the Lord, as long as the Lord is our center of focus and everything that we do is for the Lord. We need to choose our battles wisely. Me fighting with my wife because she didn't put something exactly three inches from the corner of the, the counter, two inches away from the back, you know, uh, you know, you put it three inches, what's wrong with you? That's not a wise battle. Not one that I'm going to win, nor one that even if I did win, would it bring glory to God. So we need to choose our battles wisely. We need to make sure that we're not fighting about insignificant, non-essential things. Whose job is that? That's God's. As it said in there, we belong to God, we belong to the Lord, and he will show us the path that he wants us to follow. I don't need to tell somebody, and I don't need somebody to tell me, but I do need to listen to the Lord. So as I, as I said in the prayer, let's hope that you know, we have the willingness as we interpret scripture to, to apply this in a way and allow us to change in a way that will bring him glory. Um, I think about Jesus where he, where he gave us the guidance that said, you know, guys, you know, I appreciate you wanting to go over there and help your brother, but let me tell you something. You got this big thing out of your eye. You got this big beam in your eye, and all the words that you're saying, whoever you're talking to is going, what's that in your eye? What, what is it? What, you, you want me to What? I got a splinter in my eye? Okay, but what is that big thing in your eye? Jesus said, look, take care of the beam in your eye and don't worry about the splinter in your brother's eye. Guess who can do, guess who can remove that splinter really effectively? The Lord. It's not our job. So take care of our splinter or our beam. Make sure that what we do and the way that we live our life brings honor to God, whether it's eating meat or not eating meat. You know, but let's love one another above all.
and live our lives according to that code of love, and everything will work out well from there. So please, bow your heads again. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for putting it on Paul's heart to step away from the doctrinal teaching that he has left us in, in this book of, of Romans and to go to this behavioral lesson to teach us, to teach us how we should conduct ourselves with one another, to be able to accept those who you have chosen exactly the way they are, and for us, we need to accept them as you have. So Lord, give us the strength to focus on making sure that we change the things we need to change about us and allow you to change the things about others that is what you do. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would be with us as we go from here uh, and that this, this week we would honor you and all we do in our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.